Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today, I've got another favorite from our archives. It's the cookie that originally inspired our Classy Cookies PDF and has been in heavy rotation in my kitchen with plenty of variations since season two. And we'll have more all-time favorites from the listeners too. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, this month is our greatest hits month of October, and we've been having a lot of fun looking back at the show and talking about all of the fun things we've baked, but also just, you know, some of those original and unique features of the show as well, like our amazing alliteration and different milestones we've reached. It's been so fun listening back because it feels so awkward to me now when I listen to our shows before we were separated by continents, and we would just say, I'm Andrea Ballard, and I'm Stephen Cohn, and I'm thinking, but where are you? I know. Exactly. <laughs> How do I know where you are? Well, Andrea, there's a fun fact. Can you guess which episode was the first one we recorded where I was here in the UK and you were in Olympia? Oh, my goodness. It was in the summertime of Mm -hmm. our first year. So we kicked off in the fall of 2016. So I'm going to guess sometime in the summer of 2017. So um, somewhere in the 30s or 40s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly right. You're so close. In fact, the high 30s, episode 38, we called it International Connection. And it's the first one we did. I was, I can remember it like it was yesterday because we didn't have our furniture yet. And I was sitting on some boxes from Ikea <laughs> that hadn't been put together yet at my kitchen counter. And the, it was so like echoey and cavernous because there was nothing in there. But I was so excited to talk to you. I remember we didn't know if you would even have internet connection either. Not so, yet, I, right. I mean, it was yeah. really rolling the dice it to was. even record <laughs> that day. It was so exciting. It was pretty brave of us to put that in the planner for sure. And you are absolutely right. That was in August of 2017. And our theme that month was potlucks and picnics. And you might remember that we did Ina Garten's Peach and Blueberry Crumble, which I took to the first London Garden Party. Yes, that's when I learned the term garden party, which Mm -hmm. I just think is so much more elegant and appealing than potluck. (laughs) We also did the easy indoor s'mores, the blueberry banana cake with cream cheese icing, which remains a blueberry bake that my husband actually likes. He's not a huge fan of the baked blueberry, but he loves that cake. And the summer plum crostata. So that was a really fun month. That was a fun month. I had forgotten about the crostata. We had a listener post recently who had received a bounty of plums. And Mm -hmm. in my head, I thought, well, we haven't done much with plums. But when I looked back and checked our website, we actually had a few different plum things that we had done. I think I ended up recommending that plum meringue from Diana Henry. That was so good. That was like plums and peaches and apricots maybe i was gonna say nectarine but don't quote me on that 
It was just a good stone fruit. And then it had that really interesting meringue topping. Yeah, that was a good one. Yes. It's so funny. Whenever I go back and look at an entire month, I think to myself, oh, I want to make that again. Or, ooh, ban- blueberry banana cake. I might need to make that again. <laughs> it always still sounds really good. It really does. There's never a moment when I think to myself, well, I just don't have any ideas about what I could bake next. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I have almost 200 episodes Gosh. that I could go back and look at and have, you know, there is very few that I would say are on my never to bake again list. Mm-hmm. The ones that are on my list of I haven't baked them again are usually because of complexity mm-hmm. or a difficulty sourcing the ingredients, not because I didn't like the flavor. So I am kind of shocked that we've done such a good job at picking such delicious recipes. And you know, the very few that I can think of that were just outright fails for us for one reason or another, it's less than five if I, you know, am racking my brain to even think of them. And even then, I'm not like, I'd never try it again. I'm like, oh, I'd like to go back and see what went wrong and experiment a little bit Mm -hmm. more. You know, agreed. we've done 200 episodes, but I wonder how many recipes. That would be another just fascinating thing to tote up because it's way more than 200, I'm sure of it. Maybe even like double that. That's what I was thinking as well. Well, there's a project for a rainy day. (laughs) Okay. And speaking of rainy days, Halloween is right around the corner. And Stefan, we've never done an entire month devoted to Halloween, Mm. but we often talk about Halloween bakes. And um, so I thought we would just maybe talk about something that would be fun to bake for Halloween. You know, I can't believe I haven't talked about this until our nearly fourth season is done. And that is this cake called a Monster Eye Cake. It is so cute. It has been in my Pinterest board for years. It comes from a blogger, Carrie, and her blog is The Cake Blog. And let me paint the picture for you here. It is a smooth white frosting on a layer cake. And then what Carrie has done is take Oreo cookies, twist them apart, put frosting on the back of the cream-filled part, and stuck it to the cake, and then put frosting on the back of like a Junior Mint or a brown M&M, and stuck that on. So the whole cake looks like it's looking at you. (laughs) It's just really funny and cute. Well, it's so funny because you sent me a link to that cake, which of course we will share in the show notes. So listeners, you'll know exactly what Stefan is talking about. I would not have guessed that that was how it was done. In fact, when I saw the picture, I thought, well, this is cute, but it looks hard. Right. It looks (laughs) much more complicated than it is. I love that. Oh, my goodness. Well, Stefan, there is another cake that one of our longtime listeners, Listener Brad, has been talking about, and he generally posts it at least once a year in our Facebook (laughs) listeners group. It comes from the Betty Crocker's cookbook Mm -hmm. for boys and girls, Mm -hmm. and it is a ghost, and you have eggshells. So you crack an egg, and each half of the eggshell is the eyes of the ghost, and they are somehow on fire. (laughs) Wait, literally? Or they've been decorated to look like they're on fire? He posted the picture, not the actual cake. Mm, So I don't know how involved this is. I don't know how that's done. I don't have that cookbook. I love listener Amy's comment on his (laughs) post. She wrote, A kid's cookbook where you set things on fire, only in the 70s. Yeah. 
And then listener Christine posted and said, oh my gosh, I had that book. We made that cake. Yeah. And yeah, of course. Of course, Brad was fascinated with uh, how it turned out. <laughs> and, you know, her first disclaimer was, well, I was a kid, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. But she said that she thought the icing was sort of a marshmallow meringue top type thing. Right. And the cake shape was awesome. It was shaped like a ghost. Ooh. But the eye lights were like when you flame a Christmas pudding and very subtle. Right. And as a kid, she said she was looking for serious drama. So it sounds like it had a, a bit of a disappointment factor. So... Well, if anyone wants to tackle that one for Halloween and give us an update, I mean, Brad, so far you've just been talking about it. Is this the year it's really going to happen? And if you're not up for baking a cake or setting things on fire, (laughs) one of my favorite Halloween treats, and again, it's posted in our Facebook listeners group, it is called the Poached Pear Ghosty. And it came from Waitrose. We talked about it back in October 2018. And you poach some pears and you set them on a plate full of smushed raspberries. I don't know if maybe that's meant to imply blood. Mm, Something sinister, yes. Mm -hmm. And then it's little pieces of blueberry that are the ghost eyes. So again, hard to sort of describe, but we will post pictures to all of this. And so you'll know what we're talking about. So there are three really fun ideas for everyone for Halloween. And also appropriate, Andrea, that in our Greatest Hits month, we would give a shout out one more time to Waitrose. Yes. (laughs) I had never heard of Waitrose until you moved to London. And I now get their monthly magazine, which I can download. (laughs) Thank goodness. I mean, they're not shipping it to me. So I download it and I have, of course, have their app with all of their recipes. And I find that it's one of the best sources that I can go to when I'm feeling in a little bit of a rut. Yeah. Like, uh, I've already made this a hundred times because sometimes just even the smallest tweaks, even if it's just the name of something yeah. where yeah. it has a different name or it's baked in a different way and I'll get excited about trying something different. So I recommend, I like Waitrose, but I'm sure there's a lot of international places that you can check out something from a different country. And it's such a fun way to sort of spice up your- Get it? Spice up your baking life. (laughs) I agree. You know, my mom says something similar because I often send her copies of UK magazines. And she says the same. You know, it it might be a dish that you're even familiar with making, but just the tweaking of a certain ingredient or the way that the recipe is put together, it just gives you a little, I don't know, it's just a little invigorating and and a little bit of a different twist. Yes, and just like I said, garden party is more appealing than potluck. <laughs> I find the term when I tell my family that we're having a tray bake mm. versus a sheet pan dinner, yeah. for some reason, they're all on board for the tray bake. A tray bake dinners. It does. You're yeah. right. Love it. Well, Stefan, this is our month of greatest hits, and I think it is my turn to share one of my greatest hits this week. When we were putting together the greatest hits and we each got to choose two, I had in the back of my mind which you would choose, and I was not far wrong with this next one. It's from episode 61, and it is the London Fog Shortbread from Oleander and Palm. This cookie was such a revelation to me. I have purchased shortbread in the grocery store before, both kind of the high-end kind from the bakery counter where you get like one cookie and it's $3, (laughs) 
as well as the sort in the regular grocery store aisle with, I think, classic Lorna Dune is maybe what I grew up with. Yeah. And then when things got a little bit fancier, I think I would get the Walker's brand. Sure. But I had never tried to make it from home. I was a bit nervous about this because what is so unique about this recipe and something that also makes it very special is that it uses loose tea leaves in the recipe. Right. Longtime listeners, you will know that Stefan is the tea drinker in our duo. I am not a huge tea drinker. So the idea of loose tea leaves floating about in my cookie (laughs) did not appeal. But I bravely marched forward and went to my local tea shop. And this was actually really fun because my local shop, which I have talked about over the years, Encore Chocolates and Teas, I typically stay on the chocolate side of the shop. I had never ventured onto the tea side of the shop. And I got to go over there and find this Earl Grey tea, which I have had, of course, but I had never purchased. And listening back to episode 61, I was reminded that I had found a cream Earl Grey variety Mm -hmm. that had the inclusion of vanilla in it. And it also had some dried flowers, I think, some bright blue dried flowers. And you were really, really hopeful that that would show up in the cookie, which I don't think it ultimately did, but probably added to the really richness of flavor of that tea that you'd selected. You're right. On the ingredient list, it says it's a cornflower. Cornflower. And it is just this vibrant bluish purple color, but... When you bake it into the cookie, you don't see that, but that's okay. But it still was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I also noticed when I was listening back to this episode that you and I had different results with the dough. Um, My dough ended up really sticky and your dough ended up really crumbly. And I don't know that we ever figured out why that was. I know, and it didn't seem to affect the fact that we both thought these were really astonishing cookies. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And when I was listening back as well, I couldn't remember it being a problem. I mean, I ate them and I loved them. And I do remember one thing is that I made mine substantially thicker. So maybe I was just, maybe it was just an issue of rolling, I suppose, if I was just like not kind of getting it smoothed out enough when I was trying to cut that out. I just personally like a thicker shortbread. I always have. I don't like a real crispy one. I, I like them with a bit of a chewiness if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and so I had rolled it a little thicker Um, but yeah I don't remember it being a problem in the finished product I mean as you said at the start of the show this is the cookie that got us rolling on the classy cookies pdf I think I described it as an adult cookie you did and I would also like to point out that you just said got us rolling that was a good one (laughs) stop it Real quick for listeners who haven't listened to episode 61, this shortbread is a cup of butter, two-thirds cup of powdered sugar, a one and three-quarters cup of flour, a teaspoon of vanilla, a vanilla bean split and scraped, or vanilla bean paste. That is something I highly recommend keeping in your pantry. Oh, yeah. And then two tablespoons of the Earl Grey tea. And I mentioned this a lot in episode 61, just because I do think it's unusual. You are using the actual tea leaves. Mm -hmm. So if you buy the Earl Grey tea in tea bags, you're cutting those bags open and measuring out the tea leaves, or I bought the loose tea. Right. When I remade the second batch of this, I bumped up both my tea and my vanilla. Yes. 
I used three tablespoons of the tea in my second batch, and I increased the vanilla by another, I think, maybe teaspoon, and I liked both of those additions. I didn't want the flavor to be just a hint. I really wanted it to come through. And you know, another thing we mentioned in that review episode is that this is a bit of an unusual recipe in that it doesn't have any leavening, it doesn't have any egg, and the other ingredient it doesn't have is any salt. And you explained to us at the time that that's quite common for shortbread, but you also really kind of insist on a little bit of salt in your baked goods. It's really important to you. And you had mentioned that making these going ahead or making variations, you would use a salted butter. Is that just kind of a standard practice for you now? I just don't trust a baking recipe that doesn't include salt, so. Yeah, no, and which which has been well documented, so I know. Even though I am sure pure shortbread, as these many recipes I've looked at don't have salt, I will still throw in a quarter to a half of a teaspoon. I tend to buy my butter based on price. So if salted butter is what's on sale, that's what I'll get. Mm -hmm. If unsalted butter is what's on sale, that's what I'll get. And then I adjust accordingly the amount of salt in my recipe. Yeah. I also tend to like things a little bit saltier than the average person, I think. So sometimes even when I make this recipe, even if I use salted butter, I'll still go ahead and use that quarter teaspoon of salt in there. I had made a pie crust and stuck it in my freezer, and I made a pie this weekend. I pulled it out. It's always like Christmas morning when you know there's a pie crust in your freezer, and that's one step of the equation you don't have to make. And it was so good. And I kept thinking, what did I do differently? And I remembered I'd used salted butter. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know. And I know we've had quite a bit of chatter during pie months and other times on the Facebook group. And people have said, I exclusively use salted butter in my pie crust now. And I'll tell you what, I'm considering it. Well, Stefan, a few more things I want to add about these cookies. I have made them several times. I think they are a beautiful gift to give people Mm, because they stack so well. They're pretty. They're different. You know, it's clearly not something you bought from the grocery store cookie aisle. Right. They're very unique. And I have made my own recipe. I don't do this a lot, but I went ahead and modified the oleander and palm base recipe and made some orange cardamom shortbread. Mm. You can find that recipe on the recipes section of our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And in it, I use my beloved newfound spice, cardamom, which I absolutely love. And then I use that Fiori di Sicilia. Oh, right. Which is the infusion. I call it my magic elixir from (laughs) King Arthur Flower. And I just found that combination of orange and cardamom to be absolutely incredible in the shortbread. Well, Andrea, it's funny because at the beginning of episode 61, we were bantering about the fact that King Arthur Flower had just declared 2018 the year of the bunt. (laughs) Yes. But we said that was going to be the year of the shortbread. And I think this cookie is really what ignited your love affair with that cookie. I think you are correct. The other thing that I have to say and correct is I made a comment in episode 61 that one of the reasons I liked this cookie so much was because it wasn't one that you would overeat. (laughs) Whereas with, let's say, chocolate chip cookies, you could sit down and have a whole batch. Totally. You just certainly wouldn't do that with Mm. these cookies. Well, are you here to say it is possible? (laughs) I'm also here to say you might not do it with the cookies, but Stefan, I cannot stop eating this raw dough. Oh, well, it doesn't have egg. 
It doesn't have egg. And I know we've talked recently about Ralph flour. I know. I loved whoever in our Facebook community said you will have to pry my raw cookie dough out of my cold, dead hands before I'll stop eating it. Mm, So there are ways in which to overeat this cookie, I'm here to tell you. Andrea, this was a fun month that the Earl Grey shortbread appeared. It was January of 2018, and the, the theme that month was that we were celebrating National Food Days. So for that shortbread, we were celebrating not only National Hot Tea Day, but also National Shortbread Day. Oh, okay. We also made a moist chocolate cake that's one of my favorites that was for National Chocolate Cake Day. We did a peanut butter pie for Peanut Butter Day and Pie Day. <laughs> And then finally, we did uh, cream puffs for National Cream Puff Day. So I think food holidays, we've had a lot of fun with those over the years as well. But that's a whole month dedicated to them. Oh, my goodness. What a month. Well, listeners, remember, we will have a link to this shortbread recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 199. And it originally appeared in episode 61. Those are both available on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. So all month long, we're not only talking about our favorites, Andrea, but also some listener favorites. And this one we're going to talk about next really hits both of those categories. It's not only one we have loved, but our listeners certainly have as well. And it's from way back early on episode six. I speak, of course, of the iconic Happy People Fudge. Such a popular recipe for us, and I love that this recipe has brought happiness to so many of our listeners and so many of our listeners' friends and families. Yes. Because that is how I felt when my dear friend Donna Bishop first made this fudge and gave it to me. I talked in that episode about how she would ship it to our office in Seattle. Yes. And the person in the mailroom would send out one of those email messages to everyone (laughs) announcing the fudge is here and we would just converge on it and dive into it. I remember I had all these crazy rules for myself like I'm only going to have one piece Mm -hmm. and then I would change it to I'm only going to have one piece before lunch and one piece (laughs) after lunch. And then I would say things like, I'm only going to have three pieces today. I just kept changing the rules because I just kept eating the fudge is what was happening. And you know, I think a reason that this fudge is so popular with people to make is there is this mythology that has built up about fudge over the years that it's this incredibly complicated thing to make and it involves all of this equipment you don't have and it's going to turn grainy and it's going to split and, you know, it's just going to be this disaster. So why even attempt it? And people who are afraid of fudge make happy people fudge and they're just like off to the races. They're making it forever more. It is so easy It lends itself so well to so many variations. I know when we first talked about this recipe, we had a huge amount of chatter on the Facebook group about, you know, what else could you put in here? Could you put mashed up candy canes? Could you put pretzel pieces? I mean, people got so creative with it. It's also a recipe that's really gone beyond preheated because it's been talked about in so many different places, Andrea, and that's mainly down to your influence. Yes, I was contacted by our local newspaper, The Olympian, right before the start of the holidays last year, and she asked me if she could interview me and talk about Preheated. So the reporter, Molly Gilmore, who is in our Facebook listeners group, came over to my house, and she had requested a recipe 
that was simple and easy and one in which most people would have the ingredients in their house. Yeah. Right away, I thought of this Happy People Fudge. It uses semi-sweet chocolate chips, milk chocolate chips, miniature marshmallows, a little bit of salt, and a can of condensed milk, and then some vanilla and the optional cup of chopped nuts. I Mm. always include the nuts. Oh, um, yes. Or something crunchy, whether it's, as Stefan, you mentioned earlier, chopped up candy canes or chopped up pretzels. Right. I like a little bit of crunch in my fudge. And it is such a smooth and rich fudge. Andrea, you had a video that's a really fun holiday bake-along, and that's been posted on our website as well, preheatedpodcast.com, if you want to go back and and see that. But it's also a recipe that I think people associate fudge with holiday time, but it's so great. It's really a year-round recipe, in my opinion. And in fact, I think National Fudge Day, speaking of the (laughs) national food holidays, is not at holiday time. Yeah, okay. Maybe in even June or July or something like that. Oh, sure. I usually haul out that photo and post it because in my head, it's just not a time to make fudge. But of course, you can make it any time of year. And anyone who's ever been gifted this fudge would be happy to receive it outside of holiday season. Yeah, so this is a good reminder as we're gearing up for baking season two and fudge time that it makes a great gift. It ships really well. It's really sturdy. It's a good one to make with kids. It's very adaptable. So if you haven't yet, if you're among the very few listeners who have not let happy people fudge into their life, you know, let this be the time. (laughs) In episode six, you asked me how this was for freezing, and I told you that I didn't know. Oh. I have since frozen this fudge successfully yeah okay so if you are in a fudge making mood go ahead and make your batches i actually go ahead and make the entire fudge recipe i let it set i slice it i wrap it in double layers of saran wrap sure okay i want to really make sure it doesn't get freezer burned and then obviously when you pull it out you need it to come back to room temperature i think this fudge is best eaten at room temperature anyway so even when it's in my house for my eating i keep it in the fridge and then maybe at dinner time i'll take out a couple of pieces so that i can enjoy them later that night as my evening snack just wondering you know how um Is You know how Thin Mints are kind of best eaten from the freezer? Is this fudge, is it edible or is it too hard to kind of, because I I sometimes really like that, like a little cold chocolate. Oh, interesting. Will you need to report back yet again? You know what? I'm not even going to try that because I think about biting into this and I just think toothbreaker. I mean, Thin Mints are thin. Uh, This fudge. Mm, Okay. Obviously, it depends on how you cut it, but it bakes up in a 9 by 9 pan, Mm -hmm. and so it just has a certain level of thickness that I think frozen. Too dangerous. All right. Well, enjoy Happy People Fudge any other way then. (laughs) Well, Andrea, we have one more listener favorite this week, and it is from listener Andrea in Germany. And Andrea, I'm really glad to highlight her because I think she may have been one of the first listeners outside of the UK or the US who started becoming really active on our Facebook group. She still is today. And that was such a thrill to us. And she has nominated the carrot cake coffee cake from episode 152 during round month. And how is it, Stefan, that we did not mention the carrot cake coffee cake in our alliteration (laughs) i don't know segment last week because that's four i think that takes the cake (laughs) yes listener andrea has been great you know she did her first bake along back in january of 2019 yes um, when she made the green goddess donuts with the spinach 
Oh, those little green goddess. This carrot cake coffee cake, I did not know a particular term, and it also starts with a C, so the alliteration is going to be just nuts here. But I want to mention a term that I think this recipe falls into. Mm. Stefan, way back in the beginning of the show, maybe even episode three or four, you talked about one of your first bakes being a dinette cake. Do you remember that? Oh, sure. And I remember the dinette cake. It's from the Betty Crocker cookbook. I've always wondered what a dinette cake was. So I did look it up and it is defined as a small single layer cake suitable for two people. (laughs) How much do we love that? Are you telling me I could have been having like triple servings of this the whole time? (laughs) I mean, just based on the definition, absolutely. (laughs) We, instead of doing a dinette cake, we did the cold chocolate snacking cake. So now Mm. I had two new terms. I had never heard of a dinette cake, and then I had never heard of a snacking cake. And I love that term as well. Oh, yeah. Along comes my favorite cookbook of the year. Listeners, you know which one this is. I can't stop talking about it. It's called Midwest Made by Shauna Seaver. And there is an entire chapter devoted to, wait for it, counter cakes. Counter cakes. Yes. So a counter cake, as she describes it, Shauna says there are two types of cakes. There are special occasion cakes for Mm -hmm. birthdays and anniversaries and graduations and the like. And those usually contain multiple layers and frostings and those sort of things. And then there is a counter cake, which is a simple cake, usually one layer, meant to be left on the counter and sliced off throughout the week until it's gone, sliced off in slivers. And Stefan, the... (laughs) Carrot cake coffee cake is the classic definition of a counter cake for me because both the first time I made it and subsequent times that I've made it, I just leave it on the counter. And if people are visiting, I've noticed some people will cut themselves a slice for breakfast. Right. I noticed that I will cut a little slice for myself in the afternoon. It's just the perfect simple cake. And I think it gets better as it sits out on the counter. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that we had mentioned pretty much throughout that review back in episode 152. It was billed as a coffee cake, but it was really good any time of day. And of course, we both really appreciate that. I think, too, the thing that really elevated this cake was this addition of a homemade honey butter, which both of us said, like, if you do nothing else, you must you must make the honey butter. It is not optional. And it wasn't her line, and this comes from a blog called Pinch of Yum. She said, add this honey butter if you're extra. And you are. Yes. And <laughs> it was so good warm. And you know, my mom was here when I made that cake. So that was about a year ago. So I have kind of a poignant memory of this particular recipe because as to date, that's the last cake I've shared with my mom in a while since I haven't been able to get back to the U.S. And so, yeah, we both really loved it. It was so great in the morning with like a hot cup of coffee or a hot cup of tea. But as you say, like it's it's just a delicious cake all day long. And Stefan, speaking of warm memories, this is the episode where you revealed your truant tendencies. <laughs> From high school. Uh, Why don't you remind us about your checkered past? Oh, does it need to be on the record? (laughs) 
Coffee cakes are always very special to me because, as loyal listeners surely know by now, Anne-Marie, loyal listener Anne-Marie, who does our theme music, she and I would cut class and go to her house to make coffee cake. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's how (laughs) truant we were, truly. Uh, We would not only go make coffee cake, but then we would like clean the kitchen, you know? So we just like wanted a break and a chat, as you do, you know? High school is really tough. I don't think listener Anne-Marie would mind me sharing this because she did tag Preheated Podcast on her post. But she and her son recently made a wonderful cake, the Odette Williams Chocolatey Chocolate Cake, which they baked into cupcakes. And there were two things that I loved about that. One is that Odette Williams cookbook is called Simple Cake, and I am a big fan of it. And so I wondered to myself if Anne-Marie had purchased that book because she had heard me raving about it. Oh. It's a one-bowl cake. Yeah cookbook pretty much for the whole thing so I just absolutely love that and then the second thing is it just made me smile because I thought here was Anne-Marie and Stefan cutting school to make coffee cake (laughs) oh those you know 30 or more years ago and here she is now doing that with her son just thought it was so cute oh yeah her son is quite a baker definitely he is so he's inherited that oh his smile in front of that cake is just lights up the room I absolutely love it Well, let's just have our PSA that, you know, if you want to bake, you shouldn't cut school. (laughs) Okay. Stay in school, kids. (laughs) I guess that is the responsible thing to say there. Listeners, again, this is episode 152. And thank you, listener Andrea. We really enjoyed thinking back on this cake. And that was such a fun episode as well. With the holidays coming up hot on our heels. I think this is the perfect cake to make and have sitting on the counter available for anyone to snack on without much difficulty or effort. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning. Next week, we're celebrating our 200th episode with my final greatest hit, So Hard to Choose, as well as some last favorites from our listeners and one simply amazing greatest hit that topped both Andrea and my lists and just had to be mentioned. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please rate, review, and recommend us on your favorite platforms. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening. Be well and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. This was such a revelation to me. Wait, revelation or revelation? Revelation. Yeah, okay, stop.